Uh, everybody, happy Sunday. Uh, we are here with our Tech Sunday today with some great guests today and great co-hosts along also. So we have Pete Nichols from, you guys probably knew him from another company previously, but now he's with Circle D and this company right here, his specialties. And of course, we have John Capizzi with us as well. You all know him. He's well known in the industry. Uh, we have... Uh, I can't pronounce Mr. Buffalo up there. <laughs> I'm just joking. We have Jasper Graham with us. And we have our street guy, Mark, with us as well, too. Mark Mosher. You guys know him as well as being on our show. And we are now on the RPM TV networks as well. So you guys will see us on Amazon, Apple TV, Roku, all that. So you guys can watch all the past episodes, um, special TV series that are being filmed. Um, I know Jasper is some and Mark and, and there's some other TV shows and uh a new uh, TV series coming very shortly to us in the process of being produced right now. So we have a lot going on in the background, a lot of big changes for the, for the industry and trying to keep no prep and just racing. Um, you guys will see a little bit different, uh, some bracket racing and some other things as well. We have uh, teams all across the United States. We have a West coast, East coast and here in the middle. So we thank everybody for the support this year and a lot of big changes coming and uh, I'd love to get started. And um, I don't know that Pete really needs an introduction. I think everybody knows Pete pretty well. Um, <laughs> definitely. And he is now, um, I guess maybe you could kind of talk about people get to know you a little bit and life has changed recently, you know, and maybe you can kind of share, you know, where you've, where you're gone to and tell us a little bit. If you don't sure. mind. Well, thanks for having me on the show. Grateful to be a guest and really appreciate the opportunity. Um, just quick background on me. I've always been into cars since a very, very young age, young childhood. Uh, grew up in a family of mostly uh, heavy equipment mechanics, stepped out on a race car chassis fabrication shop in my small hometown, got into muscle cars and drag cars and stuff like that in an early age. Um, from Washington State originally, uh, moved down to Arizona, went to trade school, um, worked at a speed shop in Arizona for Oh, I want to say it was 10 or 12 years, um, ran around in the local, you know, drag racing and street racing there. Um, slot opened up at Hughes uh, when the speed shop deal was kind of going south. So it was kind of serendipitous on the timing. And I already knew the product line because I sold it to the speed shop. So I was a natural fit for the uh, slot and the sales counter at Hughes. And uh, my time there lasted... Um, I forget if it was 11 or 12 years. I think it was closer to 12. Um, kind of went up through the ranks, became sales manager, had a brief hiatus after about seven years, came back a year later uh, into the purchasing manager position, then took over managing the social media, uh, did some research and development stuff for them, new product development, uh, you know, help get them into the you know no prep and more street racing as far as converter stuff goes um, got to work with some really cool prep cars like john's mustang slim shady that was a big win for me when game changer uh, yeah when he grabbed the record that was like the coolest thing that i ever got to be a small part of and i'm sure he'll get it back here soon um <laughs> uh, but yeah just a lot of cool little things like that working with customers um you know hughes and i the short and sweet version is we just wanted different things. Um, so I put some feelers out there into the industry. 
actually negotiated with um, several companies um, and had a couple others reach out to me after they found out that I was looking um, and landed at Circle D in Houston with uh, Chris Seahorn and his crew there. It's uh, I've been there right at a month now, and uh, it's been nothing short of amazing. Really, really positive change. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you joining and sharing with everybody the changes. I think uh, I've, I've heard nothing but good things um, from where you've where you've moved to um, to Circle D, and um, we're gonna have fun. We're gonna have let Jasper and uh, John, you know, kind of and Mark here get a chance to ask a few questions, and uh, and we'll talk about converters and, and converter tech and transmissions and all that stuff. I mean, pick your brain a little bit if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Any questions you have, happy to share. I. I'm all about info share. So whatever you guys want to know. If I don't know I'd what the answer, I'll tell you. I don't know. <laughs> I'd love to start off with it sounds like you have a lot um different, better probably um way of specking them at Circle D. I've like read in a few articles there's some sort of program you guys are using. Maybe explain that a little better. Yeah, sure. So I mean all that credit goes to Chris and the team there. Um, this is stuff that they've all had in place for you know, quite a while and have been working on for a very long time um, to try and hone in and perfect and are continually learning and adapting. But uh, Circle D has computational fluid dynamic software to where they have actually 3D scanned uh, different converter cores as far as the impellers and the turbines um, and then 3D scan different stator designs from the OEM cast aluminum stators that come in these cores to you know, billet steel flat vein stuff that we make in-house and then our billet steel airfoil designs that we make in-house. And with that computational fluid dynamic software, we can actually simulate the fluid flow characteristics inside the torque converter um, at given speed ratios. And the speed ratio is the relationship of the turbine speed to the impeller speed. So basically as the converter is coming up to stall, we can see what the fluid is doing inside the converter in this software. And it's actually uh, incredibly accurate. Um, so we can see what a stator should do in terms of how it changes the fluid flow dynamics inside the converter before that stator ever goes in the converter and goes in a car at the track. And it's a continual learning and development process. So, um, you know, we're wanting to be the best that we can be and, and uh, offer a really high-performing killer product and hopefully take some of the uh, guesswork out of it that comes when it comes to building custom torque converters. Now, is that allowing you to, to also simulate with the dumps running down the track and, and stuff like that or still kind of building that? No, so dump valve tuning hasn't been incorporated into the CFD software yet. Could it be? Um, that's a question I'd have to ask our engineer, Ronnie. Uh, the guy's a genius. He's awesome. He's the, he's he and Chris, the owner, really the driving force behind that. And then Cassie, who's also in the engineering department, she's incredible. Um, that would be a question I'd have to ask them and get back to you on that. Cause I don't know if that's something that could be successfully incorporated because there's so many factors that go into that. Yeah, you know, you have your converter feed restriction. You have, you know, does the car have a cooling system on it or not for the transmission? What are the orifice diameters? Uh, you know, what's the lube oil circuit, the transmission? I mean, there's 
there's so much that would go into that. I don't want to say it can't be done. I just honestly don't know. Yeah, especially with like the no prep guys that are probably using it a little more than a lot of people or maybe sure. not, but sure. the surface is always a changing too, you know, like yeah, trying to decide if they're actually hooking or not. Yeah, it's rarely yeah. ever the same, you know, pat round around. <laughs> what kind of fluid do you guys use on that dyno? And and what's the difference between like a hydraulic and a lat fluid? So it's not actually a dyno. It's actually all software driven. So we aren't actually putting a converter on a dyno. We're actually, we 3D scan the parts and then plug those models into the software and are able to simulate fluid flow characteristics based on the 3D modeling. So that's um, like the picture here on the screen. Yeah, so that's kind of an overall picture. So on the left side of that picture, Oops, sorry, almost there we go. All good. On the left side of that picture, you'd have the uh, the impeller of the converter. So that's the transmission side of the converter. That's the part that's being driven by the engine. Uh, on the right hand side, you have the turbine. So that's the part that is actually splined to the input shaft, your transmission. So that's what's providing the drive to the transmission. And then in between, you can see the two stator veins there. So that represents the stator. So in the other pictures I sent over um, with the, the green and the blue and all of that, um, that's so this is more like a overall picture here in this. And then in the other pictures, those are actual shots of the CFD modeling results. Yeah. So there you go. So on the what? left side, we have the impeller on the right side. We have the turbine. I'm sorry. I said that backwards in this one. On the left side, we have the turbine. On the right side, we have the impeller. And in the middle, we have the stator. And so all those um, arrows you can see are showing the direction of fluid travel inside the converter. Now, what's the difference between, I'm seeing the different pictures here. Um, yeah. And a couple of that's this big difference in the... Difference in stators. Each, okay. each one of those pictures represents three different of our billet steel airfoil stator designs okay so that's kind of like these right here yeah exactly so that that whole design is kind of unique to circle d um airfoil design stators have been in use by oem converter manufacturers since the dawn of converters invention so the airfoil design isn't in and of itself a brand new thing it's something that the oem started with decades and decades ago um, but our ability to model those stator vein shapes and influence the fluid flow characteristics in the software as represented in the picture you see on the screen, um, makes our profiles unique. So our billet steel airfoil stuff that we're doing, while it may borrow from, uh, OEM influence or inspiration, so to speak, in terms of just a generic airfoil shape to the vein, the actual profiles of the veins themselves on our billet stuff is totally unique to Circle D uh, and something that was created in-house. So with our five-axis CNC machining ability combined with, you know, using SolidWorks to draw these things up and then modeling them in CFD, um, it gives us the ability to create vein profile shapes that just haven't existed before. Um, if you look at your OEM stuff, you know, that's all going to be cast aluminum. And so you're limited to the mold that you're working with as far as what type of profile you get coming out of the casting process. Makes sense. Totally. Um, Black magic. 
<laughs> and then, you know, That's on the other side thinking. of things, we do have billet steel flat vein staters, and flat vein staters are what you're what most people are used to seeing, like with the Hue stuff, with the Pro SSX converters, um, you know, and other comparable designs like you know the PTC and Pro Torque and Camerons and all these guys out there that build just amazing quality and highly performing products. You know, a steel flat vein stator is kind of the tr traditional design for the really high horsepower drag racing stuff. And for good reason, it works really, really well. And there's a lot you can do with flat vein design to um, really manipulate how a converter functions and coupling points and flash and all that good stuff. And so we do get into the billet flat vein stuff as well. Um, but the aerofoil stuff is what we're really, really excited about and are hoping, you know, help sort of provide the next evolution in drag racing converters, so to speak, to help um, elevate people's programs to, to that next level. Oh, I have a, Richard has a question here is uh, what fluid do you recommend for the trans hydraulic or synthetic oils? Yeah, it's a good question. And also uh, Mark asked that too, in part of his original question. Um, so there's a lot of debate about fluids. Um, Honestly, there's a ton of good stuff out there. Um, Circle D doesn't necessarily endorse any one particular brand. Um, more so, we kind of default to the transmission builder preference uh, because the friction materials in your transmission, uh, you know, whether you're running thrust washers or roller bearings, that type of stuff, I mean, all that's going to have an impact on what type of fluid works best to give you the most durability and longevity out of the transmission components, whereas the converter is more of a, a fluid coupling in it. It's a little more tolerant of a wider variety of fluids. And really the main thing that influences fluid choice from the converter side is, my opinion, it's more relative to the fluid viscosity. Um, you know, I personally... stability too. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yep. So, you know, like the stuff that I sent you, John, with the Amsoil compressor oil, it's pretty cool stuff because it's very thermally stable has excellent shear resistance and you can get it in three different single weights as well as a multi-viscosity. So it gives you some tuning ability to the converter in terms of coupling through fluid viscosity, which is pretty handy. Um, you know, guys have used John Deere High Guard forever or generic versions of High Guard from Tractor Supply or whatever. And the original like OG High Guard formula works really well, um, especially if you're trying to tighten a converter up with fluid. Um, the generic stuff, it's really... I mean, people argue with me on it, but it's trash. It has no place in a in a high performance drag racing transmission or converter. Um, and as far as the ATFs go, I mean, LAT, in my opinion, is is hands down the best real ATF out there. They do have Wicked a couple of formulas. Yeah, it's incredible. I've, um, I've had such amazing luck with it. Like originally, yeah. we were running compressor oil from Amsoil and stuff. It worked great. I, I had no discredit at all. And like you said, you could switch weights and tighten it or loosen it'll click right. you know it wasn't some huge swing but it was noticeable at least so that's always a bonus and then we switched a lat and like john just took that transmission apart that you built for me pete and we had right. 300 plus passes on it now we're also a car that goes off the brake for the burnout and then backs up and then goes off the brake again and i'm sure you've seen some of the no preps we go to Sure. I've been hung out there for 10 seconds, 11 seconds. If, you know, depending who we're racing, like, you know, a couple of the guys need 15 seconds. I don't, 
know how they don't burn down their stuff, but that lap fluid, we, we never even changed it for 200. Find some nitrous. <laughs> it, it's yeah, just really, really durable. Yeah, so for a real ATF, yeah, LAT, in my opinion, there's no question. But there are other really good products out there, like um, Amsoil Super Shift is one that comes to mind. Yeah, we use uh, that too. Lucas products have been good, the Sure Shift, or they have a Marine ATF that is actually based on the Type F formula that works well. Um, they have a new Racing Type F that works well. Um, a lot of good stuff. So I generally say listen to your tranny builder first and foremost as far as what they're comfortable with in their product and what's going to help them you know, stand behind it should an issue come up. And then, uh, yeah, past that, you know, rely on viscosity that you can get in the product you like for converter tuning side of it. Now, out of curiosity, what is everybody here um, using? And I, I've heard from John and from Jasper. What about you, Mark? What kind of fluid are you using? Um, my tranny guy, uh, this guy I was dealing from trans specialties for my last glide, he told me because they put a three-year warranty on the low-gear planetaries and a few other things. And um, the fluid that they wanted me to use was Valvoline high mileage. Yeah. Um, it's a brand oh, new, no. yep. it was a brand new deal. That's what they wanted to use. But for some of these guys that's never bought a new converter before, uh, how you could custom tune them for their car. What's, what's some of the criteria that you need to be able to do that? Do you just need motor weight or, or what do you got? So I want to answer that, but if I could just real quick, yeah, I want to back up to what we were talking about in the CFD software because our engineer Ronnie uh, is watching the show and he just texts me with some <laughs> kind of cool information. Um, kind of going back to what Jasper was asking about, you know, dump valve tuning and pressures and all that relative to what yes. the CFD software is capable of accommodating. Yes. And um, he just texts me that in that software we can influence the converter characteristics um, with the fluid in the software because the fluid does make provision for uh, density and viscosity in the software. And then we also can view the different converter characteristics by altering the charge pressure setting in the software. So we can actually simulate different oils and different charge pressures in the CFD modeling software to see how that amazing. affects converter tuning. Doesn't quite go as far as the dump valve stuff like you were asking, um, but kind of in the same ballpark of what you were asking. Yeah, it's incredibly capable stuff. Um, but then to go back to Mark's, uh, as far as basically, what does it take to spec a converter? Um, I actually have like 22 preset questions that I like to ask people. Um, like a list, like this yeah. long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and the just and people, you know, I'll send it to them on Messenger through email or whatever. Um, and the gist of that is I want to know as much detail about your engine combination as possible. I want to know what fuel you're running. I want to know what engine management you're running. I want to know your shift points, um, the type of transmission, the ratios, the rear gear ratio, the vehicle weight, the tire elevation. Um, the type of surfaces you're racing on, whether it's eighth or quarter, is it going to see street use? Is it going to be a drag and drive car for like Rocky Mountain Race Week or Drag Week? Um, you know, mid plate thickness, flex plate style. Um, does it have dump valves? Does it have a trans brake? 
so on and so forth. So it's it's fairly comprehensive. It's not difficult to answer um, because it's just short form questions. Um, but yeah, the more detail, it's kind of like computers and the old cliche of garbage in, garbage out. Uh, the same holds true with custom torque converters. If we don't get accurate information and detail going in, then we aren't going to be able to do our job specking the converter and building the converter to do what you're expecting it to do once it's in the car. On the flip side, can we make a mistake? Sure, anybody, any converter builder can. Um, but generally, the more detail I have, the better I'm able to do my job and get you a closer you start. Yeah, you know that it, it, you're going to be happy with it out of the box, or at least really close. Lumpy said, "What's high up?" Oh, by the way, um, hi, Lumpy. <laughs> um, well, thank you. I appreciate you sharing um, that information. I think that with that software you guys have, I think it'll make a big impact on people and helping them with their tuning and getting everything working the way they need to. Um, do you guys give a lot of support to your customers, um, like you know, using the software and getting them kind of going that are newer to working with Circle D? Yeah, so uh, customer service is a really big deal at Circle D. It always has been. Um, that's nothing that is new or unique to the company. Um, Chris, the owner, he's very customer support, customer service driven and sets that expectation for all of the team there. Um, so support on the front side and the back side, uh, uh, we definitely offer our full converter tuning support to a customer, whether it's a new customer or current customer. Um, you know, full data review whether you're running Holly or Haltech or FuelTech or, you know, whatever you like, um, you know, we can review your data with you. We model uh, pretty much every custom drag racing converter gets modeled in CFD before we build it um, rather than just, you know, coming up with, the, oh, well, we know this works in this combo, so we're going to give them the same thing. Um, sometimes that ends up with the same converter in the similar combos, but nonetheless, we like to model everything and, and have an idea of exactly what it should do based on the information we've received and what we design. And then as far as support after the sale goes, apart from the data review, you know, for the people that are buying a welded converter, uh, you know, within the first six months of purchase, if we don't nail it for you out of the box, you know, we'll give you a free stall adjustment, work with you however we need to on our bolt together stuff. We can do a stator exchange, so you're not having to send the converter back and forth. Obviously, a bolt together serviceable by the racer themselves or their training builder, whoever they're comfortable having open it up. And we can just send you a stator and swap those out. You can send the old stator back and we'll send you a fresh O-ring and help you get the converter tuned that way without you guys you know, having to just buy another stator right off the bat. If you make a big change, like you started out with a 5.3 with, uh, you know, an S400 chassis turbo, and then you go to a 388 with uh, Jose 107, then, you know, that's a different story. You're going to need to we like the party. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm all about partying, but, you know, a big combo change, you're going to be buying another stator um, because that's not really a, oh, we missed the mark type of thing. That's a, you changed your combo. But if the converter doesn't do what it needs to do, after we've had a chance to review data, then, you know, we'll exchange staters with the customer to help keep costs down to them. And that's huge. 
And uh, I, I think it's huge, the customer service and the support you're able to give your customers and be able to run that software and actually find exactly what they need. And especially if they make changes, you know, like I said, going from the small block to a big block, you know, turbos and nitrous and all that all has an effect, you know, on their setups as well. Um, right. So I uh, it's appreciated for good customer service. All I got to say. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to shout that out one more time. Uh, John, do you have any more uh, questions for him at all, too? Um. Yeah, just wanted to comment on the dump valve thing. Um, dumps kind of take a different ripple or make a different ripple in the converter operating, like figuring out what makes what change because sure. the prim primary reason you run a dump is to aerate the converter. Right. You're taking some of the fluid volume out. And so the software would have a tough time figuring out how much is air and where the air is yeah, versus exactly. fluid density. Right. So it's uh, kind of kind of an interesting thing. I know um, with the nine and a half inch, like the, the Nissan core converters, my, both of my cars don't operate much different between about 60 pounds of converter charge pressure and about 160 pounds. Gotcha. If you go over that, they start getting a lot tighter. Right. And if you go under that, they don't greatly loosen up until you're under about 30 pounds in mine. Right. And, and then under 30, you know, I guess on the same, on the same power tune up, same chassis weight, same everything else, mine will flash, I don't know, six, six, 700 RPM looser and you'll lose a 10th or so, but it'll drive through a muddy puddle pretty much. Right. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Kind of, kind of interesting things. Yeah. And it's funny because literally every combo reacts a little bit differently when it comes to dump valves and how it cavitates the converter because, you know, a converter is a load sensitive device. So anything we do to uh, affect load to the converter on the front of the converter, meaning the engine side or the back of the converter, meaning transmission ratio, rear gear ratio, rear tire height, vehicle weight, it's all going to influence how that converter reacts. And as a consequence is also going to influence what the dump valves do and how the coupling characteristics are affected by the range of charge pressure. So, you know, what, what slim does with the current nine and a half and the two speed 400 in your dumps, take that same car and put a 388 or a 427 in it. There it is. My favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Playing out in the you garage. <laughs> that same car with a 388 or a 427 and say a 258 converter, that's going to hold 2000 plus horsepower and a whole lot more torque. Um, you know, it's going to react totally differently in terms of how the converter gains, regains converter charge after the dump valve shuts off and where that converter is efficient in terms of coupling relative to the charge pressure. So, yeah, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> so, um, for like the last two years, since I got that transmission and converter and dump valves off you, I get about probably one call a week from a racer asking me to explain dumps and yeah. explain what the pros and cons are and then how to set theirs up and stuff. And yep. like you said, it's super tough to do because, you know, I got one guy calling me with a big block with twins right? and I've got another guy calling me with a mini Cooper with a 1.6. So it's real right. hard to try to touch it over the phone. Like this is a, an end all be all for it. But if you could kind of give just an explanation Maybe a couple of them will hear it and not have to call me next week. <laughs> sure. 
I think it's something um, good that people don't understand with dumb fellows who don't know what it is too, you know, so. Right. And, yeah. you know, it's dump elves are kind of a funny subject in the drag racing world because you ask 10 people, you'll get 10 different answers. <laughs> and, you know, everybody's got an opinion about them. There are some people out there that, um, you know, are adamant that they do absolutely nothing. And then there are other people that swear by them and you have people that walk somewhere in the middle or just don't know. Um, in my opinion, and Based on my experience, dump valves are a very effective tool to have in your toolbox for additional tunability on a combo, um, particularly on cars that race on challenging surfaces like the stuff that Jasper does. Um, you know, whether it's on the street or it's on no prep on the back of a track or an airport strip. Um, you know, being able to manipulate that converter oil instead of having to chop power out of the tune. Um, and just sort of use the converter to help manage how aggressively you're accelerating the drive shaft and consequently, you know, how much wheel speed you're potentially getting into on these challenging surfaces, I think actually makes the car um, arguably a little more consistent and definitely, I think, you know, easier to drive by being able to leave some power in the tune-up. You're going to get less RPM drop in the gear change, so you have less chance of upsetting the chassis or upsetting the tire on those challenging surfaces. And that's where I think the dump valves can really shine to manipulate that converter oil instead of manipulating as much of the power curve with the tune-up. An instance like in John's car where you, know, you have a smaller displacement engine and you have a really big turbo and you have uh, aggressive cam timing. Um, so you don't have a ton of cylinder pressure available at low engine speed, uh, using that dump valve to cavitate the converter and help reduce that uh, resistance to the engine coming up on RPM against the trans brake. It just helps the engine respond faster, improves your staging time, your, your boost response while you're staging. Uh, but generally on the type of stuff that, you know, John is racing on as far as surface goes, it's going to be a killer surface for the most part. And, you know, dump valve tuning strategy doesn't necessarily come into play as much in one of those cars down track as it would in something like Jasper's car. Um, but that's all we're really doing is we're manipulating converter oil by reducing the level of oil volume inside a torque converter. Um, we're forcing that converter to cavitate we're creating aeration like john said earlier inside the converter and so that's increasing the percentage of converter slip that's present in the converter which you know it's another way of saying more stall speed basically um, so we can take a, a tight converter and loosen it up with the dumps where it needs to be loose whether it's john's scenario for staging purposes or it's jasper's scenario for drive shaft management on a bad surface and then when we close those dump valves, we can get the converter to recharge with oil and get it to couple more efficiently. And you still get the mile per hour. Um, you still get that good converter coupling. So it's kind of a best of both worlds. Is it a must have for every combo? Does every combo benefit from them? No. Um, like with anything, it's application specific. And it also comes down to a lot of, uh, you know, personal preference. Does the guy, you know, want them um, just, to have that extra tool in his toolbox. Um, it's not something I could tell you have to have. There's a ton of successful race cars, whether it's prep or no prep or street race that don't run them. Um, but, you know, I'm the type of person I like having every tool I can, whether I need it or not, because the one time I need it and I don't have it, I'm going to wish I had it. 
So I'm the big fan of them personally. Um, and I noticed Sean Fensler asked in the comments, you know, does Circle D offer dump valves? Mm -hmm. Currently we don't. Um, that is a product that we want to be able to offer, but we don't want to just come out with the same thing that other companies offer. If we can't do it better, we don't want to do it. So we're talking about uh, designs in-house. We're looking at different valve options. We're looking at different fr uh, flow rates. And assuming we can come out with a better product, um, then that's probably going to be a latter half 2022 product that you'll you'll see become available. Um, but again, you know, we just we we want to offer the best that we possibly can in terms of performance and quality and appearance and all those things that matter to the racer. For right now, are you recommending M and M's for customers or? There's there so like... many. There's like so many good products. Honestly, I mean, the Hughes kits are still. A great kit um they're complete with the instructions and gaskets and all that stuff so that's a great kit to use uh m m their valves are fantastic they have the highest flowing stuff that i'm aware of somebody correct me on that if i'm wrong but they're 16 gallon per minute um dave over at performance racing transmissions um he does a really killer dump valve setup also 16 gallon per minute valves uh cameron's converter services has his own a variety of dump valve arrangements, also a killer product. Um, so there's some really, really good options out there right now in the market for those. Nice. Jasper, how did you control your dump valves? Did you pulse them or, or what do you do to control okay, them? Okay, so this is one of those deals where like Holly kind of does some things that Fuel Tech doesn't and, and that's what makes Holly kind of cool. And I don't argue with people when they choose one or the other, you know, I prefer fuel tech, John runs Holly, but um, the way we had to control ours is we run them through the nitrous, the progressive nitrous kit in reverse. So like when I'm on the trans brake, it's putting a hundred percent nitrous, which is the solenoids of the dump valves running wide open. And then when I let off, it, it's all been a change. So the original combo that Pete specced for me, was like a 1400 horse could make 15 the one time we did we shot the rods out the pan but like we had a 1400 horse combo with a lot heavier car and so in that scenario we ran the dump valves a lot i ran them all the way through the shift if i didn't run them through the shift it would knock the tire on a crappy surface like almost every time so we would run them almost like let's say that the surface we're on is 570s or something we would run them till probably about five seconds and then we'd shut them off and it would give us our mile and it would start pulling on the big end and you could actually feel it and it would allow me to make the shift only be like 800 900 rpms the the catch to that is and i would love to just let people know so they're ready like pete said if you're not sure you're bummed when you don't know or you don't have it, but um, they, they'll get the training hotter. Like the trans will get hotter in a run where I run the dump valves all the way through compared to a run where I don't. Well, then we Definitely. switched motor combos after the first year. And now we've got a motor that, you know, we can make 18, 2019 with, and we might make 16, you know, at a place like war in the woods, maybe even 1650. But what happened is we ended up crashing the white car and once that crashed we switched to a coupe well the coupe 
was probably 300 pounds lighter than the white car. And it, it just reacted completely different. Something else that we did that I almost don't want to say because it like really worked out, but we're still not <laughs> doing it with the new car is the orange car had a 456 gear in it. We were running a 390 and we ended up with a 456. And in my experience, which I'm not saying either gear was faster or slower, I never got to really test it multiple spots to find out, you know, like, okay, no, it's not. If I add more power with the 390, it does better than less. But what I did notice is like the way the car climbed. So like with a 390, when I shift, it drops a thousand RPMs and it might only pick that thousand back up before the stripe. So like if I shift it eight grand, it drops to seven and I might come through at like 72 in the white car. In the orange car, it climbs just like first gear with the 456. So it was like, yep. I felt like it wasn't hitting the tire or upsetting the tire as much on the shift. So like, I liked it. But then if you go somewhere like Warren the Woods where you can run a 470, and I don't know if I'm supposed to say times or whatever, but I don't really care. If you're running that fast there, that 456 I'd have been coming through the traps at like nine grand. So yeah. it wasn't a gear you could use everywhere. I, and it was just, it was really odd. You left on like four pounds instead of seven or eight and really low RPM, but it still pulled where like with the white car in the end, we found out what it liked was as high a RPM as we could get and whatever boost made that hook and go. And it, and the car just liked leaving at higher RPM. Where with the orange car, if you left it above 4,200 anywhere, it blew the tire clean off because it was just too much gear. So, like, we used it in so many different ways. Like, when we had the 456s at the race John was at with us at the come up, like, that surface was so bad. Like, Terrible. I don't care what anyone tells you. Like, first couple rounds, if you were running 620s, you were killing it. Like, yeah, you're going around. And don't get me wrong, there was a few people that probably ran a 590 or something, and and props to them. But if you were running 620s there, you were killing it. Well, we found out real quick that we needed to run the – we never ran the dump with the new combo, you know, because the motor made so much more torque and power that the converter was right without the dump valves. Where with the other setup, it's almost like if you weren't running the dump valves, it didn't work right. So – once it became like the right converter without the dump valves, when we went to the come up, we used them all the way down the track because it was just softening the car up. It was making it so that we could hold that tire all the way down because we were racing in 20 degree weather on a the worst surface ever. So <laughs> like, yeah, I, I noticed with it's my kind of like Pete said, the dump oh. valves are all over the place for your mm -hmm. combo and for what you're doing. And like, if you're not a person, if you're one of those people that don't like too much data, it's also something to think about because, like, it's adding a whole other dimension to what point. you're doing. Right. Now, what's Go the difference, part? John, with uh, using using the Holly software? Is it a lot easier to control the dump valves? Um, I like the Holly just because I can I can make an output that's um, designed around one one piece of of data like it could be throttle position or it could be throttle position rpm wheel speed boost g meter 
you can you can tie a bunch of different pieces into one single output if this and this and this and this are all true but this other thing isn't you know i can i can make an output do i can make it flash the taillights at three g's at one second after trans brake release and you know and 100 mile an hour wheel speed um it, it's 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 just uh you you kind of get to be uh I'm trying to think of the guy that that paints the cute little butterfly on the you know on the painting you know the the meme guy. I'm trying to remember what his name Bob Ross or whatever. You know you get to be that guy with the software. You choose any piece of data you can make it do it. Um, yeah, they're really cool. Like you can do anything with them. It's just an advanced table, and yeah. as long it, it, mind you, you got to be intelligent to do that. Well, right, I, yep. that's, why, that's how I put things is that the Holly, you know, for people who are very detail oriented um, and want to learn the controls and tables and learn everything, the Holly's is great for that. If you want something simple and maybe you're not like a real tech type person, and you just want something easy to, to use and nice. That's why I suggest the fuel tech. If this yep. makes sense for the person, what works best for you, if you don't. And I think those key are key things to what you use, you know. And Same thing, using their software to, to figure out what the right converter is, you know, I think makes a, a big difference, too, in the same way, you know. They have, some, have a company that has that knowledge and can share that with you and get you set up right versus going through a lot of trial and error, too, you know. Yeah, for sure. Like Pete said earlier, where, like, put the fluid in that your builder says, put the EFI system that you the guy tuning it knows. Yeah, like, sure. Yep. That's huge, too. If you, mm -hmm. I would say if you're going to try to learn it all yourself, I would definitely pick a fuel tech. It is remarkably easier to start figuring it out and how to navigate it. I mean, tuning's tuning. You either need to know, you know, well, I guess there's a huge difference too. You guys use what, what, what is it? Volume, volume efficiency or whatever. And I think we use like injector pulses. Okay. For, for like main fuel table. Yep. Um, I'm going to say VE, VE is a common one. I actually use pounds per hour. Um, and that's what we use on fuel tech. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and you that's, can switch it to a volumetric too, but it like yes. comes standard that way. It just seemed a lot easier to me than the other way. I, I really like uh, pounds per hour. Um, yeah. and I came from that with E85 stuff because, you know, ballpark, one pound per hour of fuel at 30 pounds of boost is roughly a horsepower. Yeah. So you could, you could just ballpark the fuel table. You say, okay, this thing at 30 pounds of boost is going to make 1300 horse. Well, that, that row in the fuel table had to be 1300. So you could whack out a fuel table in about three minutes yep. and, and go make pulls and closed loop will cover the rest. You're pretty close. And, uh, Okay, we're kind of getting off. We're getting off subject a little bit, but um, mostly about transmissions here today and stuff. Yeah. And we we have and we have Mark up top. It keeps life simple and just use carburetor, you know, and <laughs> it's just that yeah, it's And he's sitting it's back and smiling simple. back there. It if I may, that's, it's not simple. Mark. That's actually no, it's the most complicated system in the world. <laughs> Running a fuel tech with a carburetor and smart coils. Like no one does that, so it would be nice. Enough. I think at one time I was the only guy with fuel tech and a distributor. I think that yes. was a thing. <laughs> running through but an MSD box. Were you saying Pete? for the guys like Mark who are running a carburetor? There, I mean, in the realm of dump valve control, there are other alternatives. So for anybody watching, it's like, well, I run a carburetor and I want dump valves. How do I make them work? 
I mean, you can run them on off just wiring it in series with the transbrake circuit. But if you want to take advantage of pulse width, pulse width modulation. Did you say? Um, There's yeah. Leash Electronics actually makes a standalone dump valve controller that works killer. And, is that what was in Billy's truck? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, I he, saw, he runs one. Yup. I saw one time in the track in the pits, he had like a little box that he was like <laughs> using yep. to control. I thought that was really neat. Yeah. It works or really good. It gives you, it'll run up to two stages of dump and it will give you three ramps per stage per run. So whether you have a two-speed or a three-speed, if you were wanting to bring the dump on, you know, to help manage a gear change, or you know exactly where a bad spot is on the surface you're racing and you want to take away some converter drive at that point, which Billy has done, um, you know, that controller works killer for that. Or for the guy that has like a basic, like a Terminator X, you know, or, you know, a Haltech, uh 950 or you know something that doesn't quite have so many ins and outs um you know and they don't want to have to go and upgrade their whole fuel injection system then that leash controller is also a nice viable alternative for the more entry-level efi guys who want to be able to have pulse width modulation and not use all their io on their current uh, ecu thank you so, for sharing that i think that's huge for some people who don't know that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could use a progressive nitrous kit too, and just do yep. what we do on the field tech and run it in. Yeah, and, and that's really what it is. I mean, it, it's it's a backwards nitrous progressive. So, yeah, on is off, off is on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I've, I've also seen some that use like MSD window switches. If yeah. you just had to get uh, it up good, to the yeah. converter. Yep. And yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of creative ways you can do Yeah, that. I run a, a fairly big cubic inch nitrous motor. Not real big, but nitrous car. Cubes? It's 620 cubic <laughs> inch. Uh, <laughs> dual, dual dominator nitrous deal. And I do a lot of racing with Jasper. We do all the – well, street racing is where I'm from. That's what I do mostly. But we do a lot of back of the track stuff. And I notice when there's, I'm at a track I can't get after it at and really use the converter I had built for my car. Uh, right. At the gear change, it tries to knock the tire off. And if I pull nitrous out of it at the gear change, it's even worse. Right. So, Yeah, I, the worst I, thing you want to do is pull power because yeah. you're reducing torque. Anytime you reduce torque, you tighten the converter. That's an ideal yeah. scenario where a dump valve can help. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I think a dump valve would help you tons. Yeah, because yeah. that thing's you know, always flying to the gear change. And if it's a fairly junk surface at the gear change, it'll smoke the tires. You got to keep it. Or you you know you get into the tune up side and you're pulling timing to try and control it, but then again, then it's converter tighter. You're, yeah, you're pulling torque away from the engine, so you know you're you know from a on the surface it makes sense, but in reality it actually uh, magnifies the problem. Yeah. So unless you pull enough to make it a turd, then well, it don't spin. Yeah, either that. <laughs> Yeah, or you just short shift it really early, and you know you just ride the converter the whole run. But then you know that yep. brings its own problems. Makes a lot of heat. It's really hard on the converter. Uh, your mile hard per hour suffers. Yeah, it's hard on everything, and your mile yep. per hour suffers. So, you know, with the technology we have available today, I, I just I, I can't see somebody wanting to run their program like that. Yeah, I guess that's why I still got carburetors. <laughs> <laughs> Hard to fault it if it works. Yeah, it works. I'm a big carburetor guy. I mean, a well-tuned carburetor, you know, they make plenty of power. So. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 
Uh, Devin Simpson asked a good question about thrust bearings and dump valves, running a 360 thrust without a dump valve. Do you need a Torrington? Um, you know, when it comes to dumps, that's another good topic, protecting the engine thrust bearing. And engine platforms that have a weaker thrust bearing, like your LS engines, your Ford Modular and Coyote platforms. I know in Devin's case, he's running an Australian Ford Barra engine, which has a thrust that's 180 degree thrust instead of 360. It's similar to a, a mod motor. Um, you know, those engines can benefit from a dump valve just to help manage that converter charge pressure and keep the converter from pushing so hard against the crankshaft where that thrust bearing is trying to absorb forces that, you know, it was never designed to handle. Uh, you know, by knocking that charge pressure down, we're, we're keeping that thrust bearing from wearing prematurely or, uh, you know, outright failing in some circumstances. And again, uh, in my experience, some motors never need it and other motors, you can't keep a thrust bearing in them in the same engine family. There's some that are just more finickier than others. Um, you know, in the Torrington thrust, that's, that's an interesting option too, that, uh, you know, you'll see more in the really, really high horsepower, high end stuff. You're the world combos, your Pro 275 stuff. Yeah, I think he, uh... hey. Other than initial machining, there's not much downside. Are you there? Can you hear me? Yeah, uh -oh. he's uh, he's going to log back in and, and come while, back. While we're waiting, uh, John Ryan had a good question for Capizzi there. Which one was that? This one? Yeah, above it. Oh, um, I'm gonna say the uh, right. right now the only time I use dump stuff at all is uh, to get the convert or get the car to the chip. Right. So if I don't use the dump at all, if I leave everything off, um, it takes roughly three quarters of a second longer to get to the chip. Beyond that, you know, by the time like last year's combo had a Garrett ninety eight on it. Um, it's got a Jose uh, GTR 102 on it now. It virtually, like, it should spool pretty similar, other than we're going to put a little more camshaft in it. So um, it shouldn't make things too hard. It was about 3.6 seconds to make 15 pounds from, uh, you know, from 1,000 RPM idle. So, it, you know, pretty quick to be ready to rip. A couple fireballs and she's done. But, um I just run a single stage external dump valve, uh, drops charge pressure from right now, I think about 115 pounds on the brake to upper 30s, I think. And that's pretty much all I do with it. If the surface is a real challenge, I will actually leave it on the whole way down, uh, turn the converter into a little bit more of a mud puddle, kind of calms down the G meter and uh, off she goes. And uh, my street car, we used to do that quite a bit the trackside no prep stuff when I was running like uh, uh, the Anarchy series in uh, at Great Lakes Dragaway. Uh, that was on a 275 radial trackside on a, on a scraped track. And at that point, that was like three years ago. That car would go 5.0, 144 um, with the dump on the whole way, 30 pounds of charge pressure the whole way down. But it was on fire when you got back with it. Made a lot of heat. <laughs> But real happy. <laughs> awesome. And uh, also, uh, Devin, I did say that he did upgrade to the 360 thrust, by the way, to be safe. <laughs> Back to that. Um, yeah, thanks for sharing. appreciate that, John. 
Definitely. So, uh, Pete, what's the if I had to send a converter in to get an RPM change or an adjustment or a change in a whole combo, what's the wait time on something like that? So right now our lead times at Circle D on stall changes, freshen ups, repairs, that type of thing, we try to keep in the five to ten business day window. Oh yeah. Um, our lead times on new builds right now are a little further out than we'd like. We're running like four to six week lead times on new builds, and a lot of them are going out closer to that six week. Uh, period. Uh, the reason for that is Circle D actually moved facilities a couple months ago. Uh, Chris had a whole new uh, spec facility built. Um, it's 58,000 square feet, uh, tons of room for growth, uh, which we do plan on continuing to grow. And uh, during that moving process, it took a couple of weeks to get all the machines moved, to get everything online, to get production and manufacturing back up and running. So that really kind of put us behind the eight ball at lead times. So for anybody that's watching and wondering how long is it going to take or where's my converter, that's why. Um, generally, we try, you know, traditionally, we've always tried to keep lead times around two weeks, three week mark. And we're working really hard to try and get caught up and get back to those type of lead times. You guys um, build that whole converter in-house in the, in the, in the country? Or do you buy parts somewhere? That's a great question. So, and this is going to be true of any converter builder. Um, that is, you're, you're, if you're purchasing a steel converter or a half and half steel and aluminum bolt together, regardless of who's making it, um, you're starting with an OEM converter core that originally came out of some sort of OEM application, whether it be... You know, the Nissan nine and a half inch stuff was a, it's been a buzzword for, you know, decades in our industry. I mean, that that's a converter core that goes all the way back to like 1983, I think. Um, mm -hmm. You know, your Toyota stuff, your GM 245 millimeter stuff that was used in front wheel drive and rear wheel drive stuff. So everybody's starting with a core. Um, the only exception to that is if you're buying an all billet converter, whether it be like a Chance and an uh, NXS deal or like an M&M billet aluminum converter. Uh, you know, a lot of that stuff is kind of clean sheet design and you're obviously getting all brand new components as far as the impeller half and all that goes. So we start with an OEM impeller and an OEM turbine, like pretty much everybody else, but then everything else is made in house. So our stators, you know, they're all made on our five axis CNC machine. Uh, centers, whether we do billet steel or billet aluminum, um, our billet steel drive covers, uh, that's all made right there in house here in Houston. Uh, our, you know, on our late model lockup stuff, uh, all the pistons, that's all made right here. Uh, we do buy friction linings for lockup converters from Alto. Uh, and that's pretty much true of everybody in the industry. You're, you're using Alto or Redustus for your lockup linings. Um, but yeah, we try to keep as much in-house as we can, uh, you know, so that we have uh, control over the quality of the product and, and control over our own destiny, so to speak. And we do use OEM aluminum stators in a lot of builds as well. And that's also true of the whole converter industry. Um, so it's all kind of relative to, you know, what is going to be the correct combination of parts for the specific combo. Hmm. I see. <clears throat> I run a nine and a half inch converter in, in my setup. I don't know what it's out of originally, but it's something like that. Yeah, it's funny with uh, nine and a half inch stuff because 
you know, uh, technically a GM 245 millimeter core, which is probably the most common converter core out there that performance builders use, um, you know, that's a nine and a half. Some guys call it a nine, some guys call it a 10. Uh, the Nissan nine and a half, that's real popular in turbo stuff. Um, you know, that's actually closer to 10 inches in diameter. Uh, we call it a 252 millimeter at circle D. Um, some guys call it a nine and a half. Uh, the Toyota core that's really popular. Um, you know, it, some guys call it a nine. Some guys call it a nine and a half. Some guys call it a 10. Some guys call it a super eight because it uses uh, the same stator as an Opal eight inch core. Mm. Um, so when you're talking converter diameters, uh, it, it's, it can be tricky to know exactly what you have unless you actually have a converter part number or pictures of it, just as a, a side reference. Fair Definitely. enough. Somebody had a question down here too. Um, would you compare build steel versus build aluminum stators? Um, so I don't have uh, pictures readily available to show you an actual uh, representation of CDS billet aluminum versus billet steel, but that's something I can get this week and post on Facebook just so you guys can kind of see, uh, you know, the differences in designs. Um, but as far as just general comparison between materials, uh, you know, the billet steel is obviously a lot stronger uh, in terms of a high heat application like a turbocharged drag car where you're going to be generating more converter heat or, you know, car with a bunch of nitrous kits on it or a procharger car or whatever. Um, the billet aluminum stuff is actually incredibly strong as well. Uh, there are companies out there that do almost exclusively billet aluminum for their drag race stuff. Uh, I know Chance does a lot of billet aluminum stators. Uh, M&M is getting into some billet aluminum stator stuff. Um, ProTorque has done some billet aluminum stator stuff. And so as long as you're using the right grade of aluminum, um, you know, they're incredibly durable, but if you aren't using the right grade of aluminum, you can get into a stator actually collapsing in uh, in a high heat environment to where the stator will physically deform. And typically it will uh, try to push the stator veins towards the impeller side of the converter. And once that happens, you usually get into some interference between the impeller and the stator. And, you know, you make some metal debris and it becomes pretty quickly evident that you have a, uh, an issue somewhere in the converter transmission. GM 245. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and then the cast aluminum stuff, like what you're talking about there, for sure, yep. definitely has its, has its limitations. Um, Thousand horse you, with a GM 245 is bad news. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you can push them far enough. You can blow a stator up. It's pretty spectacular. And yeah, Transmission fan has a quarter inch of metal in it. You're like, oh, <laughs> cool. <laughs> right, right. So performance but, uh, side, would it be just weight, rotating mass? Generally speaking, yes. On like a radial um, type car, obviously in a no prep situation, it'd be pointless because you could just add more power or take more away because you're never using all of it. But like in an all out drag scenario, would the billet aluminum possibly give you a little lower ET? Yeah, I mean, so if it's like, holding up. Yeah, like an all billet converter where it's, uh, billet aluminum impeller, billet aluminum stator, billet aluminum drive cover. Um, you know, you can get those down into like uh, 22, 24 pound range, even like on a big Nissan 11 inch core um, for like your four or 5,000 horsepower type radial car stuff. And uh, so, yeah, there's definitely an appreciable difference in rotating mass and, and 
general overall weight in a converter like that for sure. And that's where you see those primarily used is in that program where, you know, to pick up a hundredth is potentially massive. Um, and that's where you see those type of converters used typically. Um, something else to maybe touch on a little bit. I get asked this a lot. Um, when would you feel that there's a reason to go power glide, turbo 400, two speed, three speed, so on and so forth? Uh, I mean, I've always been a big power glide fan. I've gone on Facebook rants about that before. <laughs> um, you know, the 400, it, a lot of it honestly comes down to um, maybe eighth or quarter. Yeah, eighth or quarter, and honestly, personal preference. I mean, that plays a it big does. role in it. But, you know, in terms from like a hard data standpoint, um, it really comes down, in my opinion, to tuning your starting line ratio and which transmission platform is going to give you the low gear that you need in concert with your rear gear ratio to get your starting line ratio where you want it. Um, in terms of strength, you know, there's power glides out there that have been 380s um 400s have been 340s if i'm not say mistaken 340s at rvw this week yeah Jason. yeah exactly um you know for most of your your no prep stuff your street stuff it's pretty hard to go wrong with a power glide just because they're light they're simple they're low maintenance you yep. get parts form anywhere so if you break over the weekend chances are i mean chances are they when interchange you buddy, yeah you know you, your buddy probably has parts in his garage to fix one type of thing. So from that standpoint, the power glide is really advantageous. Um, when you get into the radial prep stuff, like, you know, what Slim's running in, um, you know, the 400 offers a lot more flexibility, if for no other reason, than the wide, wide variety of ratios. Like you can go as numerically low in a two-speed 400 as a 126 low gear, um, whereas a power glide, you're currently limited to a 158. Um, and then the 400, just the overall, uh, chassis of the 400 so to speak is, is definitely considerably stronger than a power glide at those type of levels um, and then when it comes to like two speed versus three speed 400 stuff generally i like close ratio three speed in a lot of the really high horsepower stuff if it's especially if it's like a pro charger car or uh, even a nitrous car where um, you know you got to get that blower speed up and keep it up and you don't want to pull the engine too far out as power band on gear changes or you have to kill the ET. Yeah, exactly. If you, if you reduce blower speed in a centrifugal car, then you kill ET period. So close ratio three speed is usually always going to be faster between like the 60 to 330 in one of those cars than a two speed would. And then the same kind of holds true for nitrous stuff. Um, you know, you just, you don't, you, I, I think with a nitrous combo, you typically have like around seven degrees of like effective crankshaft angle that you're getting like peak cylinder pressure. Um, you know, whereas with a turbo car, you have like 12 degrees. So you have, um, you know, a, a power event that lasts longer. Uh, you can load them more and they're in a sensitive as far as that two speed versus three speed debate necessarily. But yeah, the blower nitrous stuff, close ratio of three speeds, pretty hard to beat in my opinion. Definitely. And somebody had a question earlier too, was um, for picking up, uh, was Wilmer stall uh, to pick up on the starting line? I guess it's kind of not enough information there, but. <laughs> I'm guessing that ties into the dump valve conversation probably. Yeah, probably back a little bit. Um, 
In my experience, it, again, it varies depending on the combination. Um, you could put a single stage external dump valve on a power glide just off the lower cooler line, and it literally will do nothing um, in a low horsepower car uh, because that hydraulic circuit is so slow to respond. Um, you put it Not on change. Yeah, yeah. You put it on the charge side of that same combination. And it might pick up three or 400 RPM in a low horsepower car. It might pick up six to 800 RPM in some higher horsepower. Um, you get into the 400s, in my experience, the dump systems are a lot more responsive uh, in the 400 because of how the charge circuitry is designed in that transmission and how the oil returns through the gear train and just the, the series of restrictions that's present in that transmission. Um, in one car, uh, it was a radial prep car uh, with a single stage external dump valve on a 400. So just dumping off the cooler line and with appropriate pump stator modifications to help facilitate cavitation, uh, I actually saw 1200 RPM, which blew my mind. But that's also with, uh, you know, a 540 inch motor with twin 94s on it. So we're talking about something that makes a lot of power everywhere. So, you know, again, the more torque you put to it, the bigger the difference uh, you're going to see out of that dump valve responsiveness. I changed not that long ago from a 400 to a glide. When I had my 400, um, I couldn't control the car. So, well, it was a 248 first gear. It was so violent that I broke the wheelie bars off it when it was on big tires, street racing, all kinds of crazy stuff. So when I put the 180, uh, glide in it, it really counted down and really made the car a lot faster. Oh, for sure. I mean, there's very few combos out there, whether it's street or no prep or prep these days that can ever benefit from a 248 low gear at this point yeah. in the game. Yeah. Just because... Even a 210 is pretty steep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, making power yep. these days, it's so easy. Like, with power adders, the bulk power just comes immediately, and the parts have gotten so good that, um, yeah. And you're throwing cubic dollars at it for the the proper gear set to get that yeah. starting line ratio in the right realm. Exactly. A 205 gear set or a 186 or, or a 160. Yeah. Um, I wanted to do a 160, but I stayed with a two speed yet. Right. So I got yeah. a 148 two speed. Pretty hard to go wrong with a 148 with a stock gear mm -hmm. set. It's amazing the amount of power they'll handle. It's tough and it's cheap. It's a $20 gear train. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what, what rear gear are you using? Uh, my car, I have a 389 in it. Okay. So we got gear to go 195 miles an hour ish. Um, and it's been 102, 60 foot leaving on 4,400 RPM and 15 pounds of boost. Oh yeah. I got a 390 rear gear and that nitrous setup seems to work well on the 28. Yep. Really good starting line ratio area. Yeah. It leaves like a rocket. Jasper's seen it. <laughs> are you all in in a second, John? Uh, seven tenths, it makes 48 pounds. That's Man. awesome. <laughs> but wait, there's more. <laughs> it, it'll go quicker. That's It's still got a boost ramp in it. So. <laughs> oh. so this year we should have about 200 pounds out of it, and I have more turbo and eventually more engine. So should have a should should have a whole lot of problems to solve. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. If I can't get pistons, I'm putting my... 1471 540 in my car for this year so i'm just kind of I'm, waiting I'm in the same boat yeah. i'm exactly the same i'm waiting on pistons so last year's engine is going back in for right now to begin with yeah 
So you're planning on shattering the record? I, I think we can go threes with it. <laughs> three ninety nine, one eighty is on the table. That's that's, that's the goal. Really, I would like to see that. That'd be awesome. If the sleeves are up for it, I'm up for it. Let's do it. Your place and then go do a peso event or something. I know it. That's what I'm saying. God, dang. It sounds fun to go fast. <laughs> it is a riot. It is a riot. Let go of the button and just. <laughs> I don't know if like my parts are going to look as good after 300 passes, but. <laughs> having fun doing it that's the key yep <laughs> smiles per gallon that's why we do this <laughs> yeah, for sure well i want to thank everybody for uh for joining in today in the show and i want to thank you pete um definitely we'd love to come out and uh maybe see your new facility if you guys are open to that oh yeah um, totally let me do yeah, it looks beautiful like that. yeah anybody yeah, that wants awesome. to come by um uh, happy to give tours that's no problem at all kind of show you what we do on a day-to-day -day basis uh, we definitely love interacting with customers, media, whatever. That and that's way, Texas, sure. right? Yeah, Houston, Texas. Yep. Yeah, we'll be down for Texas 2K um, filming down there. So maybe I can, uh, I can arrange something to come down by you guys then. Nice. During that time period, make a trip down there first and work yeah, our way back. For sure. All right. Well, cool. Anything you want to share with anybody? Um, you know, what's going on with Circle D? Um, any products you want to? point out or sales anything i don't know whatever uh sure yeah i appreciate that so um we do things a little bit differently just in our nomenclature so we refer to everything by the metric system rather than you know nissan nine and a half inch or you know 10 inch or ten and a half, whatever um so if you hear us talk about you know our pro series 252 millimeter 258 millimeter 264 millimeter we're still working with the same common cores that other builders are um we just like to keep consistency and nomenclature and kind of have our own thing, so to speak, that way. Uh, it's not like trade secrecy or anything like that. It's just the Circle D brand. So if you're not used to that, it's not that we have, uh, you know, any some sort of secret hidden high-tech wizardry behind the cores that we're using. Um, it's just our own in-house nomenclature. And really what makes the magic happen is, you know, in our stator designs, where we set up the converter clearances, our CFP modeling and all that goes. Um, a lot of people don't know that Circle D does have a really killer bolt together converter program already in place, um, but they have had that. That's not something that's new. Um, they have had that for a while, and I've kind of come on board to help them, you know, with marketing and promoting, and also from a de developmental side, uh, you know, and helping in the stator side of uh research and development and design and all that kind of stuff and and help take the bolt together drag racing program to the next level and that program is currently focused on our 252 pro series but as we speak we're designing the parts for a 258 millimeter as well as a 264 millimeter um, we should have those parts done shortly uh, in terms of our own billet aluminum drive covers for the bolt together stuff so very quickly we're going to have uh, drag racing converter options you know everything from even just a basic welded converter for like an eight or nine hundred horsepower bracket guy we do those um and then the bolt together stuff anything from you know 800 horsepower to you know four or five thousand horsepower for like a pro 275 car radio versus the world like we actually 
have the not only do we have the capability uh, but those those parts are being made as we speak so some pretty exciting things as far as us getting out there and really tackling the drag racing market uh, aggressively and uh, trying to level up some people's programs and you know just continue to learn and grow we want to be the best that we possibly can at what we do um we got a lot to learn and uh, it's just really fun, really exciting. Uh, and then we're getting into billet flex plates as well. Right now we have them for LS, six bolt and eight bolt applications. Um, so yeah, a lot of uh, fun and exciting projects going on right now. Lightest steel flex plate I found as well. Yeah, and that's an interesting piece because, uh, you know, Chris and Ronnie worked really hard on the engineering side of that thing to do that intelligently, just not punch holes in it. Um, so they actually ran that flex plate through some modeling software and finite element analysis to strategically place those holes in areas where it wouldn't compromise strength. So that flex plate is actually specifically engineered to be the lightest weight billet steel option on the market at the highest strength. So it's we'll a, find it's out a, shortly. Yeah, exactly. 9,000 9, RPM, 2,000 <laughs> yeah. horsepower. Yeah. It's coming shortly. Yes, sir. It sure <laughs> is. But yeah, that's a piece we're pretty proud of. There, there's a lot of thought that went into that. So Awesome. We appreciate you guys taking engineering and taking the time to actually really go the extra mile and, and do the research and do what you guys do for everybody. And uh, I just want to say thank you to you guys uh, for doing that. Appreciate your knowledge that you bring and uh, everything that the coming together. I think it's a great seeing you all together, you know? Yeah, it's uh, it's like a dream come true for me. So I, I couldn't be happier. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you much, everybody. Uh, we appreciate you guys watching. And um, we thank you, uh, John, for coming on. Mark and Jasper as well, too. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no thanks. problem. You guys are always welcome to come on. on. And uh, we're going to kind of wrap things up here uh, in just a minute. And uh, we will see you guys on Thursday. Um, we'll talk to you some more. Some uh, talks about the Chicago Street Outlaws and some of the filming. May have that. Uh, we may have a couple of the winners from this weekend. Turnbull John won this weekend and a few others. So uh, we'll definitely have that on our regular show. Um, so we'll look forward to seeing you guys. And um, have a great night. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. Yeah, thank, thank you. you guys. Appreciate yeah, it, guys. Thank you, Pete. Hang on for a second.